my name is Hunter Hambrick. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence, and if I've not gotten the chance to meet you yet, I would love to do so after service. So, so glad that you're here. I know you've been welcomed and greeted already, but I know it can be kind of scary visiting a new church, and so we're so glad that you're here and took a chance on us this morning. Uh, today, we are starting a brand new series called Roots and Fruit. That's right. Can everybody say that with me? Roots and Fruit. And this is a nine-week study on the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. In fact, if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, you can go ahead and grab them and meet me in Galatians chapter 5. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible or don't have one, uh, you can follow along on the screens behind me, and we'll be there this morning. Uh, Galatians is toward the back of your Bibles in the New Testament, and it's after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after Acts, and after a first uh, few letters that Paul wrote to churches in the early church, Romans and 1 Corinthians, and just before Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. Uh, This particular book, Galatians, was written 2,000 years ago by a man named Paul. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. He was a messenger sent by God. And Paul, with a number of other church leaders, actually helped lay the foundation for the very first followers of Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing. Uh, One of the ways that he did so was by writing letters to churches, converts, people he had actually led to Jesus, individuals and whole families. And he wanted to write to them to encourage them on how to live out this new life in Christ. So we call this letter Galatians because it was written to a community of believers, much like ours, who were living in a region called Galatia, which is where modern day Turkey is now. And Galatians is all about the gospel. The most basic definition of the gospel I could come up with is this one. It says that the gospel is the good news that through his life, death and resurrection, Are we on? I'll let Cynthia do it. That through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ of Nazareth has brought his kingdom reign to earth in order to make dead people, places, and things alive. Can we say that together? The gospel is the good news that through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ of Nazareth has brought his kingdom reign to earth in order to make dead people, places, and things alive alive. Amen. Come on. Can we give a hand clap of praise for that? Thank you for the gospel. In case you did not know, we're a gospel church. We are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Galatians is all about how the gospel plays itself out in the lives of these Gentile believers. Former pagans, non-Jewish people who had trusted in Jesus as Messiah. Specifically, these Gentiles, much like you and me, were trying to answer the question, how is it that we, pagans, can now live in the new Jewish family of God? I mean, think about it. These Gentiles weren't raised on the Torah. They didn't observe Sabbath or keep kosher food laws, and the men certainly weren't circumcised. So understandably, they had a little confusion about how do we actually live faithfully in the family of God? Unfortunately, a group of false teachers had snuck into their midst and were all too happy to answer that question. They wanted to tell them, hey, following Jesus as Messiah is a good first step. But if you really want to be saved, then don't just live the gospel driven life. Come live the Torah driven life. 
come and observe rules and regulations. Do not taste, do not touch. And the apostle Paul, a Jew himself, a former Pharisee of Pharisees, will have none of it. Paul asked the Galatians in chapter three, verses two through three. And Cynthia, I'm just gonna let you roll with the slides this morning. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You started one way, so why are you continuing another way? If this were the world of fast food restaurants and Paul were living in America today, he might go up to Chick-fil-A and say something like this. Hey, Chick-fil-A, you started off so strong. You didn't invent the chicken, just the chicken sandwich. Come on, praise God for that. Christian chicken, what an accomplishment. We're grateful. But what, what is this I see? A, a cauliflower sandwich? Get behind me, Satan. Truett Cathy is rolling over in his holy grave right now. Having begun with chicken, are you being perfected with cauliflower? These things don't go together. Are we getting the, are we getting the picture? It isn't just that one way of life living by the spirit and another way of life living in the flesh is good and bad and that they're different. It's that they're utterly incongruent. The two just should never go together. Uh, we've called this series Roots and Fruit, and the big idea is this. Healthy roots produce healthy fruit. What comes in is what should go out. What we're driving at is this idea that faith is our root. That's our foundation. Just like we sang about a moment ago, Christ is our firm foundation. And as the gospel waters the soil of our souls, it only makes sense that over time, our fruit would begin to reflect our root. If faith in Christ is our root, then walking by the Spirit must be our fruit. What I want to do today is answer just a couple questions that I think these verses in Galatians chapter 5 seek to answer, and then we'll finish by considering a brief point of application. Sound good? All right. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 18. The first question we're going to answer this morning is, who is the Spirit, and how do we walk in Him? Who is the Spirit, and how do we walk in Him? says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And skipping verse 17, going to verse 18, it says, but if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Uh, earlier this year, Emmanuel Ngulu preached an amazing, amazing series of messages on the Trinity. And I highly encourage you to go back, listen to those, if you've not gotten the chance to hear them the first time around. And in that series, Emmanuel talks about how God is Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the third person or the third member of that Trinity. And all throughout this letter, whenever Paul uses the word spirit, nine times out of 10, you can bank on it, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. Not to human spirits, but to God's spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God. All the way back in Genesis chapter one, as Tucker just pointed our attention to, uh, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and uh, anything in creation that we see that has been made, the, the Holy Spirit of God was there, the Ruach Elohim. And in Genesis chapter two, that same spirit came and breathed into the dust of the ground and the Ha Adam, the human being was formed into a living person. 
And just as Pastor Ray talked about, today is Pentecost Sunday. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2. That same spirit, the spirit that created the world and created humanity, began to create a community created the people of God. And this same spirit didn't just come to rest upon people, but actually came to indwell people. So that it wasn't just prophets, priests, and kings of the old covenant. It was actually just normal people like Hunter and Josh and Juan and Morris and Cynthia and Sherry. He came to live and move and have his being inside of us. So that now, if you are in Christ, Christ through his spirit is in you. Uh, Romans 8:11 says this, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Verses 14 through 15 go on to say, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, to daughtership, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Just a side note, I'm a, a bit of a type A, you know, like, you know, really ambitious type person. So I write these messages week, weeks in advance. So if I'm saying something, and then if Tucker's saying something, and if Ray's saying something, we didn't plan this together, God might be saying something to you. So just kind of, he who has ears to hear, let him, let him hear. And what we're learning about the spirit of God is that where the spirit of God is, that's where freedom is. Because who the Son has set free is free indeed. Uh, Paul says as much at the very beginning of chapter 5. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What's he saying? It's not for rule keeping and law obeying that Jesus came, it is for freedom. New life in Christ isn't about Torah observance, as good and as helpful as that was. It is about new life, freedom in Christ. So how do we do it? How do we walk in the spirit and fulfill the law of love? I think one of the best definitions I've heard for walking in the spirit or living in the spirit is this. It's a very simple definition. To walk in the spirit or to live in the spirit is to create an environment where God loves to dwell. To walk in the spirit, to live in the spirit is to create an environment a habitat, an ecosystem where God's spirit loves to dwell. How do you know you're walking in the spirit? You know you're walking in the spirit when the spirit is walking in you, when you're living a life that pleases the Lord. So I want to take a minute just to ponder this question on the screen kind of quietly in your hearts and just answer this question. Is my life a place where God longs to be? Is my spirit a place that pleases God's spirit? What you think about, what you say, how you dress, the places you go, your community group, your family. Is it a place where God, man, he can't wait to show up. He's ready to be there.
That's the spirit. And that's how we walk in him. Question number two, what is the flesh and how can we never ever gratify its desires? Uh, Verse 16 in Galatians 5 again, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. In the New Testament, the word flesh is kind of funny. It can usually refer to one of three categories, sinful deeds, circumcision, or human beings. If you're scratching your heads, that's okay, because that's a pretty wide range of meanings. Our English word flesh could refer at one or sometimes at all three times to those three senses. And in Galatians 5, we see all three uses of this word flesh at play. Uh, Sometimes Paul uses uh, flesh to refer to sinful deeds. Other times he's talking about circumcision. Certainly in Galatians, this is a big deal with the Judaizers who are coming in and teaching circumcision as a way to salvation. Or he could just be talking about people like our soma, our temples, our our physical bodies of humanity. And sometimes uh, just because he's crafty with the pen like that, his bag is deep, yo. He's doing a triple entendre. He's using all all three at once. It's really, really beautiful. So it's sometimes unclear what flesh means, but it is definitely clear what Paul does not mean. What Paul does not mean is that our bodies, our physical flesh are bad. After all, we just talked about Genesis chapter two, where God breathes his ruach, his spirit into our flesh and boom, humanity is created. Our flesh plus God's spirit equals Imago Dei. Clearly, spirit isn't, our flesh isn't bad, our physical flesh. It's our fleshly desires that are corrupted through and through. And what's so amazing here is that Paul promises that if we walk in the spirit, if we create an environment, a habitat where God loves to dwell, we will never, ever gratify the flesh's desires. Paul, what? Are you kidding me? Because if, if you've been a Christian for more than five and a half seconds, You know, like I know, the flesh is real. The struggle is real. But Paul is clear. Uh, In Greek, he uses a very clear, emphatic statement, actually the most strong negative statement possible. He uses a double negative. Uh, If Paul were preaching in the south of the U.S. today, he might say something like, y'all ain't never, ever gonna gratify that there flesh. He'd say, you're never going to give in to the flesh if you're living by the spirit. And for some of us, this is just too good to be true. Uh, Because you know, like I know, that it is hard to live the spirit-led life. Uh, Clearly, Paul isn't saying that only true believers will never sin. He's not saying that. That's crazy. But what he is saying, and I think we really need to attune to this in an age of grace, in an age of license, in an age of welcoming and acceptance, we need to listen to what Paul says. We don't need to, we need to be doers of the word, not just hearers only deceiving ourselves. What he is saying is that if you are in Christ, then you're in the spirit. And if you're in the spirit, you now have the ability to walk according to the spirit. And when you are walking in the spirit, not once, not one time will you ever give into the flesh. And I think I know some people who know this is true. <laughs> if we're living in the spirit, if we're abiding in the spirit, if we're obeying the spirit, we're not going to do it perfectly, but we can have some progression 
in this new life. Uh, Paul puts it this way a couple chapters earlier in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This tension between the world of the flesh and the world of the spirit is what some theologians call the already, but the not yet. As Christians, we live in this overlapping age. We live within the old age of the flesh and the new age of the spirit. We have feet firmly planted in both worlds, as it were. And consequently, it is through the power of the spirit that God wants to move us more and more into the new age, the age of the spirit. This is what we call sanctification. This is an ongoing progress of little by little, day by day, decade by decade, being more and more conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. It's a gradual process. And over time, eventually, sooner or later, when the flesh was calling, now we follow the spirit. We don't give in to the sinful gratifications and lusts of the flesh, but instead the spirit begins to produce his fruit in us. And that's what verses 19 through 23 are all about. The works we do versus the fruit the Spirit produces. Look down with me, if you will, at verse 19 of chapter 5. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Anybody encouraged this morning? Orgies. Things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In late modern culture, we live in an age of technique. Uh, Really, since the Industrial Revolution and certainly with the age of technology, we are constantly grasping for the latest and greatest method to overcome the various challenges that we face. Uh, Five steps to overcome anxiety. Six exercises for rapid weight loss. Two tools to beat debt by Tuesday. Uh, We're obsessed with the quick fix. But notice how Paul doesn't prescribe a technique for overcoming the flesh. He doesn't give a method to master, rather he gives a metaphor to be mastered by. An agrarian metaphor, the picture of fruit in a garden. And if our goal is to create an environment where God longs to dwell, then we must ruthlessly root out the noxious weeds of fleshly behavior. Uh, Paul lists three weedy works of the flesh in terms of three basic categories. Uh, Number one, sexual deviancy. Number two, religious rituals. And number three, relational conflict. This is not an exhaustive list, but it is a descriptive list of the types of behavior that define a life or a community out of step with the spirit of God. They are sexual immorality, impurity and sensuality, idolatry and sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies or wild parties. This list basically describes a Saturday night at CU Boulder. Um, uh, College kids are pretty known for living this out and living it to the full. Anybody remember this guy? 
This is uh, your boy Brady, one of the many, many college spring breakers who went down to Panama City Beach in Florida in March of 2021. Uh, Brady said, and I quote, if I get Corona, I get Corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. Man, that's a commitment to the flesh. <laughs> right done. Right there. Well, well done, Brady. In his defense, he did later apologize uh, that this was actually killing people. Um, so maybe not the best thing to do. Uh, but these vicious vices aren't just for college kids. No, no, no. <laughs> these deeds of the flesh can spring forth from any root, religious or irreligious, that lives out of step with God's spirit. Uh, anyone watch this yet on TV? Viewer discretion is advised. Uh, this is The Secrets of Hillsong, an FX docuseries. Uh, it traces celebrity pastor Carl Lentz's rise and fall from grace during his time at Hillsong, New York, after a five-month tequila-fueled love affair with a Muslim fashion designer named Renine Kareem. The episodes go into sordid detail about the financial, sexual, and spiritual abuse that has taken place at Hillsong, not just through Lentz, but really through the whole system of the 150,000-person megachurch. And now, li listen, time out. This is not a knock on Hillsong. We just sang a Hillsong song. I, I love Hillsong. It's a great church, but it is not an invulnerable church. Uh, the vices listed here in Ephesians 5 are unfortunately found all too obviously there. And if you're a non-Christian sitting here this morning, I surmise to guess that this is one of the reasons why you have not yet given your life to Christ. The church is so full of hypocrites. <laughs> How can we trust this belief system when Christians and Christian pastors and ministers, especially people like me, want to change the world, but the world ends up changing them? All of us, any one of us, are in grave danger of the garden of our hearts being overrun by the weeds of fleshly desire. And when this happens, when our lives begin to be characterized permanently, unrepentingly, disobediently by works of the flesh, Paul's warning couldn't be clearer. Such people will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's easy to pick on crazy college kids, probably easier to critique celebrity pastors. But what about me? When I look at this list, at first glance, I think I'm doing pretty good. Drunkenness, not thankfully not a problem for me. Uh, orgies, not exactly, you know, present in my life. Sorcery, I love Harry Potter, uh, but, you know, that's about the extent of that one. But as I was meditating on this passage, I couldn't help but realize that though many of these, just like for you, I imagine, many, many of these are still present in my life, but one of them stood out more than others, and that was fits of anger. This uh, past December, it became clear that I needed to go back to counseling. Through a series of interactions with my wife, my coworkers, people in my community group, uh, it became clear that I needed help. Uh, in the arena of anger, I was not winning. Uh, the flesh had taken root. I had become edgy, short, impatient, defensive, easily irritated. And thankfully, things never got violent uh, emotionally or physically. I need to be clear, very clear about that. And some of the folks I just mentioned actually wouldn't have even known what was going on. And that's because your boy is a stewer, not a spewer. <laughs> when I get mad, I can stuff that thing like there's no tomorrow uh, until it comes up alive. 
this all came to the head for me one morning after a particularly fitful day. I was reading the Psalms, trying to encourage myself in the Lord. I came across this verse in Psalm 62. And have you ever been reading the Bible and you're like, I, I, think, I think they wrote that for me. Psalm 62 verse 4 says, With their mouths they bless, but with their hearts they curse. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Under the full conviction of the Holy Ghost, I realized, Hunter, <laughs> that's you. Outwardly, you're blessing, but inwardly, you're acting like you wish that some people didn't even exist. That's what cursing is, by the way, is to cut someone off. It's demonic. It's not of God. Externally, I looked all happy and clappy. God bless you, brother. But inwardly, my soul was not well. Not exactly a healthy place for a Christian leader to be. I thank God for therapy. My therapist helped explain to me that anger is much like an iceberg. What may present on the surface as anger, actually below the surface, there's some other emotions swirling around. And in my case, I had a world of grief and loss underneath the waterline of my soul. I won't go into everything here, but suffice to say, uh, in the course of less than two years, I got married, moved to Denver, started a new school, new church. Life was amazing. But also, at the same time, equally real, but what I didn't want to feel, was that I had left my hometown. I left my home church. I had left a career in a community I, th I thought I'd be in for the rest of my life. My only two remaining grandparents passed away. My mom experienced a debilitating stroke that left her and our whole family permanently changed. Throw into the mix a global pandemic. <laughs> and I was a mess. I was mourning, but I didn't know it. My grief was not an excuse for my poor behavior. I want to be clear about that. But it was a reflection of my pain. It wasn't until I saw rotten fruit in my life that I realized <laughs> there may have been some rotten roots in my life as well. Maybe you can relate. Left to our own devices, these are the deeds the flesh produces. But thanks be to God. <laughs> this doesn't have to be the end of my story or of your story. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can put to death the sinful deeds of the body and let God, not us, the Holy Spirit's fruit, not Hunter's fruit, the Spirit of God, let him come in and produce his spirit, his fruit in us. We'll unpack each of these virtues one by one over the next few weeks, but it's worth noting just for a brief moment today that these virtues all go together. Um, that love, this first virtue, this first fruit of the spirit is not simply one fruit among many fruit. It is actually, I would argue, the fruit, the singular fruit of the Holy Spirit. All the other virtues, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, patience, gentleness, self-control flow out of love. Those other virtues are what love looks like in action. Do we have any uh, really important question? Do we have any Pink Floyd fans in the house? Any Pink Dark Side of the Moon? Carolyn, I knew it. Yes, rock and roller. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, Pink Floyd was a rock and roll band from the '70s. Gen Z, I'm educating you right now. Need to respect your elders. Uh, and they recorded one of the all-time great rock records, "Dark Side of the Moon." And uh, their album cover actually illustrates this point pretty nicely. Uh, just as when light passes through a prism and then breaks up into these different colors, the light is still one light. Uh, these other colors, the color wave, are simply a reflection or rather a refraction of that one singular light. 
And just as these colors don't exist apart from each other, nor can they exist apart from the light, so the fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, cannot exist apart from love. So what I don't want you to do is say, oh, I'm a pretty gentle person, Hunter. Like, I just need to work on a little kindness, you know? It's like, no, 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 no. These all come together. This is all love in action. We'll focus on these remaining fruit a lot over the next couple months this summer, but I want to be very clear about one point up front, and that is this. Fruitfulness is very, very important, but fruitfulness is not the point. Fruitfulness is a reflection of the point. Uh, Tim Keller, the great pastor and theologian who, uh, if you didn't know, actually just passed away um, last Friday, tragically, from pancreatic cancer he put it this way. He said, we are saved by faith, not fruit, but a fruitless faith cannot save. We are saved by faith. It's our faith in Christ. That's the root. That's the firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. But a fruitless faith cannot save. So I want to know, how fruitful are you? One way to answer that question is through another question, and that's this. Which leader are you following? Verses 24 through 26 says, and those who belong to Christ, everyone say belong to Christ. Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I mentioned earlier that uh, despite Paul's admonition against sorcery, I am admittedly a card-carrying Harry Potter fan. Um, and, uh, in case you haven't read or seen Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets, uh, movie two, book two, let me just go ahead and ruin it for you now. Uh, it, it came out two decades ago. If you've not seen it yet, you have no excuse. You should watch it. Uh, there's this incredible scene toward the end of the movie in the book where Dobby, the house elf, is, uh, he actually confronts his old master, Lucius Malfoy. What a just evil Lucius Malfoy. Uh, Dobby was a house elf confined to a lifetime of service in the home of uh, the Malfoys, Lucius, Narcissa, Draco, and a house elf could only be set free from servitude to their master if their master presented them with clothes. And so in one of the final moments of the movie, Harry secures Dobby's freedom by secretly giving Malfoy a sock that Malfoy then gives to Dobby, uh, unknowingly his servant. And one of the best moments of the whole series. Dobby is free. He's a free elf. He's a free house elf. And he pledges his freedom to Harry. He pledges to serve a new master. To an infinitely greater degree, your master, the Lord Jesus Christ, has set you free, not from one bad wizard, but from all the dark principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Satan, sin, and death. Christ has set you free, brother and sister in Christ, from the tyranny of the flesh, and who the Son sets free is free indeed. In Christ, he frees you at infinite cost to himself. He didn't just give you clothes. He gave you his life. He gave up his physical flesh so that you, so that I would never be bound by our sinful flesh. He laid down his body. And now, verse 24, you belong to Christ. Christian, you have a better leader now. 
Eugene Peterson, the great spiritual writer, says in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Christian is a person who recognizes that our real problem is not just in achieving freedom, but in learning service under a better master. You have been freed, my friend, freed to serve, freed to love, freed to follow your risen Lord. And I want to know today, Christian, which leader are you following? The old leader of the sinful flesh or the new age of the spirit of God. Because if you are in Christ, I want to let you know this morning, you can serve a better leader. You can serve a better Lord. You don't have to serve the flesh anymore. If you are in Christ When Christ died, you died. Your flesh died so that you may no longer live for self, but you can say along with Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, church, you have a better master now. You can follow a better leader. I'm gonna invite our worship team to the stage to close in a song of worship this morning as we respond. I invite the prayer team as well to just kind of make their way to the front of the stage. And if this message ministered to you this morning, if you know, hey, Hunter, I'm, <laughs> I'm living in the flesh. I want to give you an opportunity to pray for freedom in that area because I promise you, brothers and sisters, God has come to set you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I'm not talking about once in a while sin, you made a mistake, you slipped up, things happen. I'm talking like this thing has a hold of you. God wants to pray for you. He wants to break that off of you. He wants you to walk in freedom because freedom is what Christ died for. I'm going to invite us all to stand to our feet. And again, if this is an area of your life where it seems like the flesh is winning more than you're winning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's go ahead and turn our hearts to the Lord and say, God, how can we respond to you? How can we follow a better leader? How can we not follow the old code of the, of the flesh, but the new life in the spirit of God? Father God, thank you for Providence Bible Church. Thank you for this community of believers, believers who have been set free, God, And you set us free, God, not just for freedom's sake. You actually set us free to serve. You set us free to love. You've empowered us and you've indwelled us by your spirit, God, so that we could be your hands and feet. And there was no one on earth who brought about freedom more than Jesus. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to the heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, we thank you for setting us free in Christ to love and serve and follow a better leader, a better Lord. We love you, God. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond.